Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Carl Carlson. And this is Chris Jackson. And Carl and I are going to talk about, uh, I think, the future trends of familiarism, where we think they might be heading or maybe where we think they should be heading. It can be different things. Yeah, that uh, I thought that'd be a fun topic, uh, uh, just to kind of let her hear down a little bit and uh, uh, see where this is going. There's so many trends going on that are uh, prevailing, and some of them are really good and some of them are not. And uh, it'd be kind of fun to banner back and forth as to what we think those are, where we think this needs to go, and and you know what our advices are to people. Right. And I mean, you're the familiar guy. You've written the book uh, on Famiers, and it's a really good book. I suggest to people who haven't read it and who want to learn about Famiers, you could do a lot worse and read Carl's book. But also, and I know you you work with some heavy hitters in the industry when it comes to making Famiers work. But from my, and I, I do a lot of Famiers as well um, and, and train and, and talk about Famiers. From my perspective, Carl, I'd be interested to see what your thoughts are. I, I see there being two categories of familiar users. Uh, one category of familiar users are those who use familiars with standards or industry perceived best practice rules. And the second category are those organizations which use familiars but are not afraid to tailor, change, bastardize um, the process to their unique situations. Is uh is that something you observe as well, or am I way off the mark? No, you're you're very good on the mark there. The and that that really categorizes people. And I'd say the where we want that to go is is wherever is based on fundamentals. I'm right. very positive on people modifying procedure, modifying scales, as long as it's based on fundamentals. And mm-hmm. the the people who follow standards and rules. There's really two subcategories there. Some of them are under contract. So you're under contract from the Department of Defense or you're under contract from some customer. And then you have to follow some particular standard. Even with those people, I say, well, let's make sure the fundamentals still emerge from those rules. Right. So I think you can we can uh, guide the process by Understanding fundamentals and really ensuring the fundamentals are part of the the uh, FME process that you're using. Right, and and to as, as an example, I mean, I often work with organisations who have to do famicas for those contractual requirements. And when I speak to people in the industry, they say, "Well, famicas are all there's you don't famicas don't involve corrective actions." You go, "Okay, really? They don't involve corrective actions, and why is that?" Well, everyone knows they don't involve corrective actions. And the the, <laughs> the history behind that is that MIL standard 1629, uh, it has example tables of work for worksheets which don't have corrective actions. And that I believe has been the seed behind this myth that there is no such thing as corrective actions and for makers. You just have to scratch a surface historically to understand that those tables are essentially the form- formats, suggested formats or ideas for formats that customers can demand from their suppliers or contractors or providers 
once the product is ready to be sold because that table then becomes very useful for spares, spare parts, planning, everything else. And by that point, when you're ready to purchase a finished product, there should be no remaining corrective actions left. That is why you don't see that corrective action uh, column in those tables. But corrective actions are mentioned no less than 16 times in what is a relatively short standard. And the direction is very, very clear that for makers are used to help you prioritize and identify corrective actions. And so it just goes to show to me at least how, you know, how dangerously simplified for makers have become just to suit what is largely bureaucratic um, and procedural customers who just don't want to spend the time thinking about reliability, to be blunt. That's my opinion. But it's just an example of how people get drunk on standards and stop thinking as a result. Oh, yeah. And, and I'd love to get back to the standards thing because that's, uh, and, and we will. So let me just make a couple comments on what you're saying. And then let, let's talk about the future. So, because you're totally right that people have that misunderstanding that uh, Famica is only that worksheet that's in one page of the uh, standard uh, and that you don't do corrective action. That's that's completely wrong. And yeah. in the, the next generation, the SA1025 that uh, some of us are working on, uh, we definitely have corrective actions in the standards. So this is called the modernization of 1629A, and and it'll have a lot of uh, changes. It'll it'll be based on 1629, but new changes. But you're you're so right that. And why do we want corrective actions? Because the whole point is to reduce risk to an acceptable level. And when we're doing an FMEA. If we're not focused on, if we don't have the eye on the ball of reducing risk to an acceptable level, then we're missing the boat. Uh, the and I get mixed metaphors there. Uh, <laughs> sure. so the, yeah, baseball and voting. Uh, so th- th- it's so important that the FMEA team goes from functions all the way through to you know failure modes, causes, in and then r- assessing risk and risk prioritization, and then corrective actions or recommended actions and execution all the way through to risk reduced to an acceptable level. And that's fundamentals, irrespective of what it's called. And I'm I'm an advocate of if picking one or the other, FMEA or FAMICA. Let's stop this nonsense of having two different acronyms for the same thing. Because yes, there used to be a thing called FAMIA, which was the the front end of the whole FMEA without the, the criticality assessment. No one, to my knowledge, is doing that. And we should really recognize that by saying, okay, a FMEA is either all the way through, through corrective action, risk reduced and acceptable level, or we'll call it FAMICA. Either one has a criticality assessment and either one has recommendations. So I'm I wrote a paper on uh, Ascendo Reliability, one of my monthly series on FAMIA versus FAMICA, and introduce that concept because I think we're we're adding we're 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 maintaining confusion by keeping those as separate processes. What do you think, Chris? Completely concur. In fact, um, you know when I teach my FAMIA FAMICA courses, um, I, I, I go through <laughs> a, a little literature review of the standards. Half of them essentially look at Famica as something distinct and separate. 
In fact, those ones that look at something at Formica as it's distinct and separate actually barely mention Formica at all. The other half just say, essentially say a Formica is a special type of Formica, or not a special type, it's just a Formica uses a criticality analysis for prioritizing risk. But if you go back to 1629, that has this thing called qualitative Formica, which is where you use, um, you know, essentially judgment to characterize the criticality or risk associated with particular failure modes, which aligns for 100% philosophically with what people usually think for me is are. There's, there is zero difference, absolutely none. The only, the practical difference is, is that when Formicas are used, especially in military contexts, um, there is a sometimes ravenous supply chain management team that just wants failure rates from the Formica to go and then use to input them into uh, spare parts planning. Um, the reality is you, me, or anybody else could come up with your own unique way of characterizing risk through frequencies, failure rates, a scale of one through to seven, what have you, um, is still a familiar. doesn't change a thing. It's a familiar is a familiar is a familiar, even if there's an extra C in the acronym. Might be yeah, I completely, completely agree. The the And just to, to get a name, and I know you know this, but just for the listeners, SAG 1739 is called FAMIA, but it has a criticality assessment and, of course, recommendations all the way through. So they're, they're really, like you say, there's not a dime's worth of difference between FAMIA and FAMICA in practice. And so we can both agree, and I think hope the uh, audience agrees, that we ought to pick one or the other. doesn't matter to me. But we shouldn't commit this long thing. I'm teaching you FAMIA slash FAMICA. And that, that just perpetuates a, a confusion. Uh, the other point I want to concur with is uh, failure rates. Now, now we'll find some things we can disagree with, but that uh, so far we're, we're batting a thousand. Um, failure <laughs> rates are not something that is an outcome of an FMEA in, if an FMEA is done early in the product development process. Now, yes, you can do that qualitative assessment, like you mentioned, Chris, and get a qualitative uh, risk of a, you know, assessment on occurrence. Um, and that it might relate to, in some way, some failure rate, but it's still qualitative. Th then later, when you have hard data, uh, you could update that and then generate some failure rates that can be used in supportability analysis. And that all can be done as a time-based process. But the FMEAs that are done early in the product developments typically are qualitative or really should be qualitative because otherwise, why are you doing them? If you have all the hard data already and then, then you don't have a lot of new technology, you don't have uh, new environments and the other reasons that it, that it takes to, to generate or trigger a FAMIA. So just wanted to concur with you on those things as well. Yeah, I could not agree more. And again, when I teach for me as makers, <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I I essentially use just to just to add some structure to how I talk talk about it. I, I just say, but if, unless you do a familiar early and upfront and using subjective assessments on frequencies and everything else, um, and and, and outcomes, and also you want that early for me, yeah, which is done subjectively, like you said, using expert judgment and best guesses to work out the likely 
uh, prevalence of failure. Um, you also want to, you'd never want to be constrained to feel like you have to list every conceivable failure mechanism, which is what a lot of people assume is part of a criticality analysis where every failure mechanism needs to have its own line item in that Excel spreadsheet with a failure rate. You just, it's just not possible to do it early on. And so the way I explain it is you do it for me early. And then while you are developing your system, you at every step of the way, you start compiling your criticality analysis. So your familiar should give you an idea of what your vital few weak points should be, the dominant failure mechanisms. And then um, once you do perhaps accelerated live testing or you do data review for those dominant failure mechanisms, you might get a better idea of the reliability or the failure rate associated with that failure mechanism, in which case you enter that number into a criticality analysis. And during development as well, you're going to stumble across, across failure mechanisms that the original FAMIA team didn't consider. Guarantee it, you will. It's just the way it is. You add that to your list of ways the thing can fail and perhaps you then uh, might understand its potential failure rate, so on and so forth. So I, I say, you, you, in the, uh, while I agree with you that criticality analysis can be done technically at any stage, I try to be at least in my mind pragmatic and say, okay, we'll call criticality analysis for this conversation one which involves failure rates. If you have to do it, separate it from your main decision-making for me and then develop it slowly and add it to the original for me you came up with during design and development and manufacturing. That's how I explain it. I, I don't know if you're anywhere near me. No, that that that's good. And it, and it's some key words there. If you have to do it, and and some of this is legacy um, uh, history where people just put it back in the contracts and stuff like that. Uh, the I found my most success with qualitative criticality analysis, which, like you mentioned, is similar to all, all kinds of FMEAs, really do a qualitative criticality analysis, and some of them merge into a quantitative. The, uh, the other thing I'll mention just in terms of the future of FMEA is let's not try to do FMEAs on everything. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the mistakes. I know it was a mistake in automotive and probably still is in many cases, and it's a mistake in other, other companies. It, it has its greatest success when we can do a preliminary risk assessment and narrow down. I mean, complex systems can have thousands or tens of thousands of parts, and I don't want to really be involved in or see thousands or tens of thousands of FMEAs. I want to narrow down where the risk is from a preliminary standpoint. And mm -hmm. if we have, based on certain criteria, and the criteria can be company-specific, uh, in other words, the, the company can say, okay, based on these five criteria, the degree of new technology or the degree of field problems or some other criteria, then we'll launch an FMEA. And then it doesn't become uh, a useless fill out the form activity. It actually is a thinking tool uh, that, that has value. So I wanted to throw that out there. What do you think about the limited use rather than FMEAs on everything? I completely agree. And again, just to sort of reinforce part of what you just said, um, if you have something that you identified subjectively at the very start, the way you described as, you know, a probable weak point of your design, then 
let's just assume you're going to implement some corrective actions. Those corrective actions are going to influence whatever failure rate you'll end up with. So, um, so there's no point trying to characterize a failure rate of a weak part of your system as early as possible if that's going to be the subject of corrective action and, and reliability improvement. You need to implement those corrective actions before you you waste any time trying to come up with failure rates if that's required. But I completely agree. You can focus on the on 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 those things that are going to keep engineers up at night because the intent of that early familiar is to come up with corrective actions for those vital few weak parts of your system. And as soon as you start overwhelming yourself with trying to imagine every conceivable possible way this thing will fail, it then the product becomes a list of failure mechanisms as opposed to a list of uh, a, a more uh, digestible list of corrective actions. Is that? Yeah, then, excellent. Excellent. Here, here's another one. I, I know we have limited time here, so I'm just going to throw this one out here. Uh, a couple of years ago, there, I was reading a lot of papers a few years back. I was reading a lot of papers on automated FMEA, and some really good people have written papers on how to au completely automate the process. And I thought, okay, let's let's engage and talk about that. So I, I put a uh, a uh, an Oxford style debate together at Rams two years ago, a year ago last January, and asked. Two people who are very experienced and knowledgeable about automating FMEAs, together with two people, one of myself, who are very experienced on team-based FMEAs. And we debated the subject of FMEA colon, automated or team-based. And when I say Oxford-style debate, we actually shared our presentations ahead of time uh -huh. so that we could see what the, quote, opposition, unquote, was saying. And, and then we, in, in this, it was not a normal panel because we were asking each other questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And it, it went really well. It just great, great progress. In fact, we all ended up in more or less agreement that you can't automate the whole process and you can't be team-based on everything. And, and so I think the future of FMEA is going to be a balance with modeling and some degree of automation, or I'll call it pre-population, but bringing in teams at the right point to review the right things and to engage the thinking of experts. And that is the future. We have to, we don't want to go all the way one way or the other on that. So I just wanted to throw that out there and see what your thoughts are on that. Well, it's just like anything else. You got to use the right tool for the for the right problem. Um I'm against automated for me is being the only tool you use i mean we we go through examples we're about to go through an example again next year with our rnm tutorial at said rams um where we look at the example of a smart lock and talk about the corrective actions those fast simple and borderline free corrective actions you can implement if you think about this thing early enough and one of those things was to uh, inside the smart lock was to add a clip to physically secure a cable that connected the electric motor to the to the PCB. And the reason why that clip was inserted is because doors are often slammed shut due to wind or domestic arguments or children or what have you. And just the simple act of adding a clip to physically secure that cable to make sure the momentum is not imparted and those shock forces are not imparted to the solder joints 
um, is going to improve the robustness of that smart lock incredibly. Now, an automated Vermeer is not going to come up with that design change. Never will, not in a million years. Um, uh, it, it will there, but there is a there's a time and place for automated Vermeers to be able to regurgitate in a sort of AI way. Um, let's say historical fire mechanisms and corrective actions for the technology you're using guarantee you they'll pick up some things that the Vermeer team might not have thought of. But to suggest that can supplant the FAMIA team approach is, is, is nonsense. And if I had to pick one, it'd be team every single time. But I could also see how a team-based approach to FAMIAs in certain situations could be really enhanced by the automated FAMIA, which comes in the back end to fill in those gaps. Is that anywhere near? That, that's very, very well said. I completely agree. The uh, uh, We want to bring in the best of, of uh, artificial intelligence or the best of models. Uh, there's a whole body of knowledge, you know, model-based systems engineering, of course, and now model-based FMEA. We want to utilize models in the right way. And that's a subject of another podcast because there's there's obviously good models, bad models, and we and we don't want to just automatically use models. They got to be models that have the right assumptions and the right criteria. But yes, they can be hugely useful to make sure with something is not missed in an FMEA. Mm -hmm. And then people's time are so valuable. Uh, you want to be sure you've got all the benefit of databases and preparation so that the time of the team of subject matter experts is not wasted. So I think we've got a, a good balance there in terms of, or we need a good balance in the future of FMEA. I'm going to throw out one more thing. Because um, mm -hmm. you mentioned standards at the beginning, Chris. and the And I have a lot of uh, concern about just automatically use of standards. And I, you know, there's tens of thousands of standards. If you look at all the ISOs and all the IECs and, and that type of thing. So all standards are not alike. And there's, there's one standard that um, builds itself from a database and, and FMEA can be in a database, but I have some concerns about the standard that's called AIAG slash VDA. It came out okay. in 2019. And this that particular standard pushes in the directions of a I'll call it a cumbersome or a bloated FMEA uh, rather than a lean and narrow FMEA that focuses on the areas of the vital few areas that right. we want to focus on. And so I I think people need to have their antenna up on just automatic use of standards and make sure that the standards are the best they can be before they adopt them also need to point out that standards i think one thing i can say about most standards which is really really good is that virtually every single one of them implores the reader of the standard to tailor the content of the standard to their own individual need yeah. i think i haven't seen a standard which says you have to do it this way or no other way every single standard is actually pretty good in my opinion about trying to get people comfortable with tailoring it and modifying it for their own unique needs that's something i would also want to throw out there as well no that that's good and that uh, that comes down to training because it might be a footnote in the standard or it might be one line in a very long standard uh, but it, it is so essential to to be empowered to use the standard in a positive way i get a lot of questions on fmea every week and in a good percentage of them are 
well, the standard says this, but, and I have to reply back, well, okay, what's the principle involved? And what are, you know, how should you do that? What does your company say? It can get people away from just automatically implementing every line of the standard robotically. I think, to be honest, most standards say that if you're not tailoring this standard, that you're not doing it properly. <laughs> I, so, yeah, yeah, people need to feel comfortable about understanding um, what part of the standard matters, what part doesn't. But long story short, if you don't want to invest time to understand what a familiar is and you simply want to go to a standard and just perhaps have a document tell you what you need to do in order to be able to say you can move to the next part of the process, you've already lost the uh, the battle that for me is supposed to help you win. So, yeah. but once you have that confidence and understanding, then you will know which things matter and which things don't, which things you need to add and which things you can feel comfortable omitting for your personal situation or professional situation. And then you don't ask Carl or me or anybody else because you said oh, you've already worked out you don't need to do a damage assessment or the scales from Mill Standard 1629, which involve mission failure don't apply to, for example, clothing, <laughs> um, yeah. which I've, often, I've seen a Famica done on clothing, which includes, you know, mission failure as a, one of its uh, one of its consequence descriptors. Yeah. Pe- people will know what I'm talking about if they've been through that ordeal in the past. Yeah, the, and so if you're a listener... And you've got some thoughts about the future of FME, something we didn't cover, or something you want to add to or or even uh, correct from us, uh, please get involved in, uh, in the conversation. I think this is an open topic. I'd really like to explore it more about, you know, where are we headed on FME? What are the best practices that survive the test of time that should be into the future? So, Chris, where should people go? If they have a thought about the future of FMEA or want to get in touch well, with us. This speaking of reliability podcast, you can find on www.ascendoreliability.com forward slash series forward slash SOR, um, where this podcast is going to be available, along with lots of other podcasts on wonderful reliability related topics. And once you've reached that uh that destination, you can feel free to to uh leave a comment we respond to every single comments and a lot of our ideas for podcasts come from our listeners who leave comments so we encourage everyone listening today to uh, check out other podcasts and if you feel the urge to tell us what we need to talk about next or what we got wrong sounds good well great conversation thanks a lot thanks for the time carl always a pleasure thanks for listening to speaking of reliability We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.